Hi, I'm back and I'll be praying and bringing the Bible reading to you today. The Bible reading is John chapter 16, verses 16 to 33. But before we read, please pray with me. God, our Heavenly Father, as we come to read your word today, please help us hear and obey it. Your word is the word of eternal life and brings light to the world, guides us and leads us in truth. Please help us hear and understand it. May your spirit be at work in our hearts and minds and with Grant as he speaks. Help us know the hope to which Christ has called us and help us to continue to persevere in this hope. Amen. So John chapter 16, starting at verse 16. Jesus went on to say, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me. At this, some of his disciples said to one another, What does he mean by saying, In a little while you will see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me, and because I am going to the Father? They kept asking, What does he mean by a little while? We don't understand what he is saying. Jesus saw that they wanted to ask him about this, so he said to them, are you asking one another what I meant when I said, in a little while you'll see me no more, and then after a little while you will see me? Very truly I tell you, you will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn to joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come, but when her baby is born she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you. Now is your time of grief, but I will see you again and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. In that day you will no longer ask me anything. Very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be complete. Though I have been speaking figuratively, a time is coming when I will no longer use this kind of language, but will tell you plainly about my Father. In that day you will ask in my name. I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. No, the Father himself loves you because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. I came from the Father and entered the world. Now I am leaving the world and going back to the Father. Then Jesus' disciples said, Now you are speaking clearly and without figures of speech. Now we can see that you know all things and that you do not even need to have anyone ask you questions. This makes us believe that you came from God. Do you now believe? Jesus replied. A time is coming and in fact has come when you will be scattered each to your own home. You will leave me all alone. Yet I am not alone, for my Father is with me. I have told you these things, so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, 
but take heart, I have overcome the world. This is the word of the Lord. Uh, good morning. It's good to be with you, back with you again, uh, since we were here almost a year ago, less than a year ago with you. Uh, and uh, yes, I grew up thinking I had a southern accent, but I think you have a southern accent. Um, and so, uh, Becca, my wife Becca, and two kids, we've been here in Perth for three and a half years uh, uh, to serve at Trinity Theological College, where I uh, lecture in New Testament academic dean there as well, and I just want to say a couple words about Trinity before we uh, open the Bible together, uh, and you may probably know this because I think if we were to ask everyone who uh, is studying or has studied or who works at Trinity to leave, there would be a lot fewer people here today, so uh, we won't ask them to do that, but uh, if you have questions, there are many people here at the church you could speak to about Trinity, which exists, the college exists to see Jesus glorified here in Perth, and then to the ends of the earth. And the way that we do that uh, is by training people in the gospel. So we, we dig deeply into the Bible, into theology and church history, uh, so that we're then built up in that same gospel, and we can proclaim it in our words, but also our lives. So if, if that's something you would like to do, if you'd like to study, you've thought about studying the Bible uh, for a year or, or more, uh, I'd be happy to speak with you today, or you could speak with uh, Eleanor or Catherine or Salam or any of the church staff. Uh, we have a, applications open now for semester two, uh, and then also uh, looking towards next year, we have an open week at Trinity in October. That'd be a great time to come along and just to get a taste of what study is like, what college life is like, um, and you could talk to someone who's studying now to get a sense of that too. Um, so it's great to be back with you, and it's great to open John's Gospel together. I know you've been working through it, and this will be a, a very helpful passage for us, I think. Uh, with your Bibles open, why don't we pray together and ask for God's help. And now, Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditation, meditations of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. May Lord our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Uh, well, Christianity is the only belief system that helps us, that helps humans hold together two apparent opposites, like light and darkness. The gospel says that light shines through the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Or joy on one hand and sorrow on the other. Or peace and trouble. If you're a Christian and you've ever been to the funeral of a faithful Christian, then you probably have experienced this. You felt the deep sorrow of the loss. But then you, you knew of an even deeper joy. You knew that that faithful Christian is now in the presence of their Savior, Jesus. So the gospel, you see, shows us how sorrow turns to joy and how peace comes even through times of trouble. That's true. Those opposites actually uh, make sense because of the gospel. The gospel tells us that life comes through death. Jesus died on the cross to give us eternal life, and he is alive today, now, at the Father's right hand. 
If you're a Christian, you know this. You know this truth. Uh, if you're not a Christian, I encourage you to, to listen closely and sign up for that Exploring Christianity course or talk to a, uh, an, a member here at the church. But even though Christians know this truth, we know the gospel truth, we still get confused. We, as you'll see, we're, we're like the disciples in this passage. Jesus has been speaking to them about his coming death and resurrection, about his going back to the Father. And he's telling them about how they should live and how they, they will believe and how they will pray after those things. But he's telling them before they have happened. So they are confused. They are full of sorrow. And soon they will all fail. We hear these words after everything has happened. Jesus has died on the cross. Jesus has risen from the tomb. Jesus is right now at the right hand of the Father. Everything he's talking about has happened already for us. So we don't have the same reasons for confusion and sorrow. But still, we get confused. We get overwhelmed by sadness. And sometimes we fail. And in this world, we have trouble, difficulty, suffering. But in this passage, God wants us to hear a wonderful promise. See, Jesus came so that sinful, broken people can know God and enjoy Him forever. But how? How, how does that happen? In a world of trouble, when we are confused and full of sorrow, how do we enjoy God forever? We pray, Jesus says. So in this passage, I want us to see two big truths, two big truths about prayer in Jesus' name. When we pray, God, he turns our sorrow into joy. And when we pray in Jesus' name, we enjoy peace that's even greater than the greatest trouble. Sorrow turns to joy. Peace through times of trouble. Two great promises for those who Trust Jesus and who pray in his name. See, Jesus, let's look at verses 16 to 24. Jesus tells us in these verses that our sorrow can turn to joy as we trust in him and pray in his name. And, and that's the main point. That's the main takeaway. But there's some, some details to Jesus' words that, that we need to explore that might be a bit tricky for us. And it starts right away in verse 16. Jesus says, uh, in a little while, you will see me no longer. And again, a little while, and you will see me. But the disciples don't understand what this means. They, they say to one another, and we can almost envision it, we can see it, we don't know what he is saying. We can appreciate their confusion because it sounds like Jesus might be talking about his going back to the Father as he is now, and then his second coming when he comes again in, in the final day. But I think, no, he's actually talking about his going away is, is first his death, and then his coming back when he sees them again is his resurrection. So when he's dead, after he's crucified, they will no, no longer see him. But then, when he's raised from the dead, they will see him again. But it wasn't that clear for the disciples. See, the it had not happened yet, and the, and the Spirit had not come yet to, to fill their hearts and to illumine their minds. But 
but we know how the story ends, and, and we live on this side of the resurrection. We've been given the Spirit, so we do have an advantage over these disciples. But I want to see how, how similar we are to them. Jesus says that their confusion is not just because of lack of understanding, it's because of sorrow. John 16, verse 6, Jesus says, sorrow has filled their hearts because of what he's been saying to them. See, they're, they're downcast, they're sad, they're overwhelmed, and it's led to fear. So they don't ask Jesus what they want to know. Even though they know Jesus could tell them, they still don't ask because they're afraid. I can recall several times as a child when I wanted to ask my parents something, maybe especially my dad, but I did not because I was unsure how to ask. Maybe not I was especially sad, but I know I was probably confused and, and a bit scared too. Now I, have, I have a good dad who would have listened to me and who would have responded. He may not have given me everything I wanted, but he would have listened. My dad of course, was not a sinless man like Jesus. But that's not the point. The point is that I, as the little child, I was like the disciples in this passage. I did not ask because I was afraid. I was confused. Jesus wanted his disciples to ask him. God wants us to ask him for what we need. He is always, always more ready to listen and to answer than we are to ask. He wants us to know from this passage that we can and we must pray in Jesus' name, especially when we're confused and sad. But Jesus, you see how kind and patient Jesus is in this passage. He's not only our sovereign Lord, but he's also our gentle teacher. And we see both in the way that he speaks to his disciples. He tells them in verse 20 that even worse sorrow, they have sorrow now, but even worse sorrow is about to come. Soon when he is taken away from them, they will weep and they will lament. They will grieve because their beloved master has died. But they will also grieve because they will think that all of their hopes and dreams have been crushed. Consider with me two disciples who were walking on the road from Jerusalem to Emmaus in Luke 24. And a stranger appears next to them and asks them what they're discussing. And so they start to tell uh, this man who Jesus was and all that he did. And they say, we had hoped he was the one to redeem Israel. And even worse, they cannot find his body. His body's missing from the tomb where he had been buried. Their hopes are dead. Their dreams are crushed. Confusion reigns. They are weeping and lamenting. But at that time, the world was rejoicing. The Jewish leaders who had conspired to have Jesus killed under the Roman governor Pilate, they thought job done, done and dusted. The world will rejoice, and you will grieve, Jesus says in verse 20. But then he says... Your grief will turn to joy. Jesus says this will be something like when a woman gives birth to a child. Childbirth, as, as uh, many here know, includes tremendous pain. But once the, the child has arrived, the mother's joy far outweighs her pain. It's not that the pain is all gone. It's that the, the joy of holding the baby 
outweighs the pain. And that's what it would be like for these disciples. Sorrow, but then joy. Joy much greater, much deeper. Now, I imagine mothers in the room will resonate with Jesus' illustration. You, you know this is true. You felt it. Uh, but for some, these may be, even this illustration may be painful. You may have lost a child, or you cannot have a child. And so when you hear this, you may feel a great ache in your heart. Because you know that the joy of a child has been taken away or, or even prevented. I can't imagine. Hope deferred makes the heart sick, as the proverb says. But there's hope for, and peace for, for you, even you, and, and all of us in these words. Jesus says our sorrow can turn to joy in verse 22. I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice and no one will take away your joy, Jesus says. Jesus promised his disciples that he would rise from the dead. And he did. Do you remember those two sad and confused disciples in Luke 24 on the road to Emmaus? Well, Jesus was the stranger who appeared to them. Jesus was the one walking alongside them. Jesus is the one who ate with them and told them about all that he had done and who he is. And then in John 20, verse 20, when the 12 disciples saw Jesus, the risen Jesus, John 20, verse 20 says, they were overjoyed. They had joy. So when Jesus says, no one will take away your joy, this is not some sappy sort of fairy floss promise about always feeling happy. If you've been a Christian for more than a few days, you know that we, are, we do not always feel happy. No, he says no one can take away your joy because Jesus, Jesus, the risen Jesus, is our joy. He's alive. And so joy, for, for Christians, joy is a fixed, unchangeable reality. Earlier we heard read, Bryce read from Isaiah 55, which says, you shall go out in joy and be led forth in peace. And so that was a promise Isaiah made in the 8th century B.C. to the people living in Judah, waiting on the Lord, being called to repentance, called to trust in his words. Well, we, now, we enjoy the fulfillment, the fullness of those words because Jesus rose from the dead. So now we go out in joy, and we now are led in peace. Nothing can take that away because Jesus is alive. So when we trust in Jesus, our joy is fixed, permanent. Even though you lose a child, even though you're fighting cancer, even though you lose your job, even though... As Christians, you can't get on for some reason. Joy. No one takes away your joy because Jesus is your joy. So do you see that joy far outweighs every pain, every sorrow, because Jesus is alive. You may know uh, that Tim Keller, godly man, family man, pastor, and author, he died just a few days ago very sadly. 
And back in 2021, Russell Moore interviewed him and asked him uh, what Tim Keller would say to a person, especially uh, a young 20-something person, about being deeply afraid as the COVID pandemic is raging in America, fearful about the future. And Keller's answer is worth hearing. He said, if Jesus Christ was actually raised from the dead, if he really got up and was seen by hundreds of people and he talked to them, if he was really raised from the dead, then you know what? Everything, everything is going to be okay. You will be okay. Everything. Keller said those words after he'd been diagnosed with terminal pancreatic cancer. You can hear him as you, if you watch the video, you can watch it on YouTube. You can hear him. He believes it in his bones that no one can take away his joy. Do you believe that? If we believe in Jesus, our joy never goes away. Verses 23 and 24 show us how. How do we enjoy God forever? How do we feel that? We may not always feel it, but we can know there is always joy, Jesus says, by prayer. In verse 23, his disciples, he says, will not need to ask him anything about understanding his words after he is resurrected. When he's risen from the dead, it'll make sense, he says. But in verse 24, he also says, once he's risen, they should pray in his name. See, as, as Jews, they had been, been praying to, to, to God in heaven, yes, but Jesus says they'll need to, to deepen that and actually shift that into pray in his name. So do you see prayer, Jesus says, is the key for us to enjoy him, especially when we're afraid and sad, full of sorrow. And I wonder if, if we are, I think we are, like these disciples. When we're troubled, when we're afflicted, when we're full of sorrow, we, we can feel what we want to ask God. We want to ask him for comfort, for rest, for assurance, for peace. But we don't ask because we're afraid or too sad. So even though we know as Christians, we know Jesus raised from the dead, the gospel tells us, but still we fail to pray. If we ignore prayer, John Calvin says, it's, it's like if we had been told of the place where the greatest treasure on earth had been buried. And we go to the spot and we see the spot and we say, no, I won't dig it up. I'll leave it there. Christians, we can be like that. We know the treasures of joy for us in Jesus, and yet we don't pray. Jesus says, pray, pray in my name, and your joy will be complete. That unchangeable, fixed, permanent joy will be complete. So even through sorrow, we can enjoy Jesus if we would simply pray in his name. Talk to God, our Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus. Well, Jesus has been speaking about joy, and in verses 25 to 33, Jesus tells us that he gives us peace through trouble, through trial. So our second main point, God tells us that if we pray in Jesus' name, we can enjoy his peace even through the worst trouble. 
And I want to start at verse 33, the, the, the last verse. Jesus gives us the reason for his words in this passage, uh, the purpose for everything he's been saying. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In the world you have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Now, the word trouble in, in the NIV Bible there, it's, it's, it's the idea of suffering, of, of turmoil, of, of tribulation. It's, it's big trouble, not little trouble. It's, it's major. And the world that Jesus speaks of is, is the fallen, the sinful world, the, the rebellious world that denies God, that, that crucified Jesus, and that the world that will hate them because they hated him first, Jesus says. In the world, the fallen world, we can experience all sorts of difficulty, general difficulty that, that every human faces, disease, illness, corruption. But Christians can also face specific trouble, like persecution, a rejection because of Jesus, or spiritual discouragement or depression, even relational difficulties among Christians, especially the longer Christians serve together. Um, it's exciting to get a church plant going, I'm sure, but then as the years go on, we remember we're human and we're sinful. In the world, Jesus says, you will face trouble. But in me, you can have peace, he says. How? How and why can we have peace in him? Jesus gives us, I think, three reasons in these verses. First, in verses 25 to 28, Jesus says, we can speak directly to the Heavenly Father. In, in these verses, verse 25, he says, he's, he will speak plainly to them after he's risen from the dead. He's been speaking in in sort of examples, parables, figures of speech a lot. But he says after he's risen, he will speak plainly. And he says that will be a time when his disciples will pray in his name. Because after he rises from the dead, he will go back to the Father. And, and you've heard that as you've been walking through John's gospel. Jesus, throughout the gospel of John, he's actually on the way back to the heavenly Father. So Jesus says, they will actually not need to ask Jesus for understanding, but they, in that day, they will be able to talk to the Father directly. They will be able to approach the very throne room of God, the creator of the universe, the judge of the nations, and ask him for what they need. Because Jesus will be alive, and he will be at the Father's right hand. And Jesus, he says, they will be able to do this, not only because Jesus is alive, but because the Heavenly Father, the Father himself, loves them. Because they have loved Jesus, they have listened to Jesus, they have been trusting him, they will be able to talk to God, the Heavenly Father, directly. And, and do you know that if we believe Jesus, if we love Jesus, we are loved by the Heavenly Father. So to follow Jesus doesn't mean you're, you're, you're following the greatest, sharpest teacher who ever lived, though he was and is. No, to follow Jesus means you are children 
of God, the creator and judge of the universe. You've been brought into a family. If you read uh, the first chapter of John's gospel, he talks about this, that, that Jesus came to the world, he came to his own people, but his own people rejected him. But for those who believed in him, he gave them the gift to become children of God. We're brought into a family when we trust in Jesus. And we can speak to him as our loving Heavenly Father. And earlier I mentioned that we often don't do that. We often fail to do that. We, we forget or we're too afraid to pray. We ignore the, the greatest treasure. But, but Calvin says that if we pray, if we talk to our Heavenly Father, we reach the riches that are laid up for us with the Heavenly Father. See, it's, it's by prayer that we, we dig up the riches of the gospel. It's by prayer that Jesus shows us the joy that's unchangeable. It's by prayer that he gives us peace through difficulty. And prayer, uh, it may be intimidating. It, you may not feel like you know how to pray, but prayer is it's, it's quite simple. Prayer is just it's talking to God. We talk honestly to God, our, our maker, our father, about how thankful we are for Jesus. We confess our sins to him, and we ask the Holy Spirit to change us. And we ask for his will to be done in our lives. If, if you took the, 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 the notes, the, the order of service for today, and you could use that actually to learn some ways to pray. Or you could talk to a staff member, a mature Christian here, if you're struggling with your prayer life. So we can enjoy God's peace. We can enjoy God's peace. Secondly, in verses 29 to 32, because we can pray to the Heavenly Father even when we fail. You see, these, these sad disciples, in these verses, they sound a little less confused. In verses 29, they say, ah, now we're understanding. You're not using figures of speech. Now we know all things. We know that you know all things. We know that you have come from God. Sounds like a good confession, right? It sounds like they're getting it now. But it's actually not as, as strong a confession as they could or should give because Jesus has told them even more. In chapter 14, he said, I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. He has taught them here and, and many times before that he is the only Son of God. Not only the Messiah sent from God, but he is God the Son in the flesh. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father, Jesus has said. But they, their confession is, is true, but, but incomplete. And it shows, it betrays their weakness, even though they don't know it. And so Jesus draws this out. In verse 32, he tests their belief. He says, in verse 31, do you now believe? Behold, there's an hour coming when the sheep will scatter because the shepherd is struck down. There's a time coming when you disciples who are now more confident, you will scatter to your own home and you will leave me alone. And that's what happens. The same night, a bit later, when Jesus is arrested, when he's been taken to 
the chief priests. Peter and John follow along, but the rest of the disciples, they scatter. And then, then Peter, he fails too. Peter denied Jesus three times. They failed. I wonder if you have failed recently. You've fallen into temptation with the same sin that seems to entangle you over and over. Again, you, you felt lust. Again, you gossiped about a fellow Christian. Even as children of God, as followers of Jesus, who know the truth, we fail, we sin. But remember, we live on on this side of the cross and the resurrection. And so we can look back to the cross and we can know that Jesus died on the cross for that sin, that lust, that gossip. And he defeated it. He paid the penalty for it. And so we can go near, we can pray to our Heavenly Father as quickly as possible. Uh, A young child from a family with loving parents, when that child disobeys and they're disciplined, they they may feel shame and guilt and, and feel caught. But in a loving home, they will still, you see this, they'll still in tears, reach out to their parent for a hug. They've, in their moment of failure, they still want to be near their mom or their dad. Jesus, he told a parable in Luke's gospel about a lost and ungrateful, a, a son who had failed. He'd squandered everything his father gave him. He had gone into the pit quite literally. But then, one day he came to his senses. And he ran back to his father. And his father hugged him and loved him. When you fail, when we fail, do we turn and run to our heavenly father? Jesus says we can. We should because of him. That's the third reason he gives us in verse 33. We can enjoy Jesus' peace because it's peace that comes in him. Verse 33. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. And Jesus has been talking about this this idea, this truth of being in me for quite a while already. Back one chapter in John 15, he told them, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever remains in me and I in him will bear much fruit. Because apart from me you can do nothing, he says. You see, to believe in Jesus is to belong to Jesus. And belong to Jesus by trusting in him, by loving him, by listening to him, by praying in his name. And when we belong to him, the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin and and brings us to see Jesus as Lord and, and leads us to run to the Heavenly Father. So we can have peace, we can know peace even through trouble in him, in Jesus. We will go through trouble. We will go through trial in this world. But we can have peace by trusting in Jesus. If, if you are in, in emotional distress right now, if you're waiting on a big medical result, if you're making a big decision about your life, if you're suffering insults at work or rejection in your family because of Jesus, if you're weighed down 
with anxiety or depression, if you're in any kind of trouble, just look to Jesus and, and pray to the Heavenly Father. And, and that is how we enjoy his peace. And so this is the gospel. This is the gospel that's our only source, our only source of true joy and peace. And it's true because Jesus conquered the world. He says, take heart, I have overcome the world. So on the cross, Jesus died for our failures and our sins. On the cross, Jesus took the punishment that we deserve. He died in our place. And on the cross, Jesus defeated death. and He defeated Satan. So one theologian says, on the cross, evil is conquered as evil because God turns evil back on itself. He makes the supreme crime, the murder of an innocent person, Jesus, the only righteous person. That very operation is the thing that abolishes sin. No more complete victory could be imagined. So we know the victory is complete because Jesus rose from the grave. Jesus has conquered the world. And as Tim Keller said, everything is going to be okay. Uh, before he died, a couple days ago, Keller's family informed the public uh, through social media that his health had taken a, a grave turn, that he had asked to go home from the hospital, that he had been sent home with hospice care. His family told about how much he had been praying with them, and they shared some of his final words. Keller said, I'm thankful for all the people who've prayed over me for the years. I'm thankful for my family that loves me. I'm thankful for the time God has given me, but I'm ready to see Jesus. I can't wait to see Jesus. Take me home. Those are the words of a man who knew Jesus loved him. He knew Jesus had died for him. He knew and he believed that Jesus had really got up and walked out of the tomb. And so those are the words of a man who knew and enjoyed the fullness of joy and peace, even in the face of death. He, in his hour of death, he took heart in Jesus. What about you? What about us? Jesus says, in the world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that we can speak directly to you in his name. And we thank you that we can know joy and enjoy the peace that you give us in Jesus because of him. And so we thank you that everything will be okay in Jesus, and we pray in his name. Amen.